The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. My name is Tyler. I never really grew up with a strong faith. I believe that something created humanity and I chose to call that being God. But I always had more questions than an actual relationship and understanding. Throughout middle school and high school, I was always that dark kid. I listened to a lot of metal music, loved horror movies. So naturally, I tried to find those who shared that same interest. I found that. With that, I also found drugs, alcohol, sex, atheism, and more questions. Drugs and alcohol were never really my thing, but I became wise for my new friends. I got good at giving advice in life, love, and relationships in the way that the world constantly feeds us. I would often use that knowledge to take advantage of girls. At this point, I was also embracing atheism never really caring about an external judgment, doubting if there was even a God at all. At this point, I was truly lost at life. You know, it really is amazing the things that we as human beings will put our faith in and the things that we will doubt. I mean, we put our faith, our full faith and expectation in all kinds of, uh, you know, ordinary everyday things. You flip the light switch, you expect the lights to go on. You have complete faith. You, you flip the little handle on the toilet, and you expect fully that that toilet's going to flush. You get in your car in the morning, and it doesn't matter if you're going to work or you're going to school or wherever you're going. You expect when you hop in that car, you're going to be able to turn the key and get where you are going safely. And the reason we have that expectation, we have that faith, is that we have seen it succeed time and time and time again. And even though they do fail sometimes, and after all, they do, right? Has your power ever failed? Yeah, almost certainly, right? How about the toilet? Now, this is true. I'm not kidding here. Um, I've used the toilet illustration in every service, but... uh, Five minutes ago, I was in the bathroom, and I flipped the handle to the toilet, flushed it, walked away. I'm washing my hands, talking to Tom Wagner while I'm drying my hands. All of a sudden, realize that the toilet is still making noise. I turn around, and the the urinal literally is flooding the bathroom right there in the men's room right now. I mean, just now. They're in there cleaning it up right now. I'm not kidding. Uh, So, uh, yes, the toilets will fail from time to time. And uh, even here at the theater, they fail from time to time, uh, mainly because they let me use them. Apparently, I'm bad luck, so uh, don't follow me into the bathroom, guys, Um, for many reasons. We're just going to move on because I am about to get really, really off topic now. Um, Your car, though, too. You know, uh, on our trip to Alaska this summer, our great Alaskan adventure, which you knew I would have to bring up at some point in my sermon, uh, we had three days in a row with flat tires, three separate incidents. Okay, two days in a row was the same tire. Had to get it repaired one day, the next day ran over something else and popped the tire again, same tire. What do you think I did on the fourth day? I slapped the new tire on, hopped in, and my daughter and I drove for the next 30 hours from Anchorage, Alaska to the very end of the Alaska Highway in Dawson Creek, British Columbia. And did I doubt I was going to make it? No, I hopped in. I fully expected to make it without a flat tire. Even though three days in a row I'd had one, I've seen so many times, how many days in my life have I not had a flat? And so I hopped in. I still expected to make it with no problem, with Thankfully, that time I finally did. And yet, what about God? We doubt God. 
often, in spite of the fact that we have seen him succeed time and again, whether in Scripture or in the lives of others or in our own life, we have always seen God succeed. In fact, God has never failed, and yet, as human beings, we doubt him. And why? Because of the life situations that get thrown at us. Tragedy, loss, and pain will stir doubts in us about whether there is a God, and if there is, is he good enough or just not caring enough, or is he just not strong enough to do anything about it? This is that, that child that is hooked up to all the machines in the hospital that isn't going to get to live the life that we all think they should, that makes us question God. It's that, that mentor friend of mine in St. Louis, Missouri this week who is just a few years older than me, a great man of God and pastor who was sent home with hospice care, care, giving up on him. It's that marriage, that family situation that you have been, has been your rock your whole life that all of a sudden is tearing your life apart and you sit there and you wonder, is there really a God? And God, if you're out there, why are you letting this happen? And we doubt. Well, the Bible in the book of Judges tells us the story of a man very much like you and me. A man who was turned into a great warrior of God, but when we really read the beginning of the story, he's a very, very unlikely choice for a man to be, to live a life of faith, just like you and me. His name is Gideon. And Gideon lived, was born and lived in a time where Israel was in a really bad place. They had been overrun and oppressed by the Midianites, and it was extreme. The oppression was severe. You see, it was so bad that the, the Israelites had, had made the decision. They'd found places in the, the rocks and amongst the caves. They'd created emergency shelters that they could run to to get away from the Midianites when they came. It was so bad that if the Midianites even saw that they were growing crops to feed themselves, the Midianites would swoop in not to steal their crops. They swooped in just to bully them. They swooped in, they would camp out on their crops, party all over it, until they destroyed what Israel needed just to feed themselves. The oppression was severe. It was one of the most dispiriting times in the history of God's people. And it's in that framework we see that had been Gideon's entire life. That's all he had ever known. And so as God comes to Gideon to call him to be a great warrior, we will see that Gideon's response was not necessarily one of great faith. So we're going to pick up this story in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Maybe you've wondered sometimes why it is, how it is that pastors and preachers can so quickly rattle off those crazy names and seem, you know, seem to get them right so easily. Can I give you a little secret? If you just say them really fast, everybody thinks you're so confident that you must be saying it right. We really don't know how they're pronounced either. I'm not supposed to give that away, am I? <laughs> 
But what we see here is Gideon is actually, he's, he's threshing the wheat, but he has to do it in hiding because he knows if the Midianites found out, they would destroy it. And his family and the people of his area needed this to survive. And it's in this context we pick up again in verse 12 when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And then verse 13, Gideon's reply, much like you and I might, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Yeah, Gideon's response, are you kidding, God? Have you seen the circumstances I'm living in? You've got to be joking. Very honest and very human. Gideon immediately doubted because of the current circumstances of life around him, much like we do when facing tragedy, hurt, and pain. You see, it's easy for us to read the Bible, finish chapter 6 and chapter 7 about Gideon, and know that God delivers Israel and that God uses a great man, uses him to become a great man of God. But when you are Gideon, when you are the one in the middle of it, when it's you in the middle of the pain that life has dealt you, when it's you struggling to keep your family together, and you can't, you don't have the luxury of reading the next chapter of life to see how God works it all out, it isn't so easy, is it? In fact, it's quite easy to doubt and to live and question God. But you know, Gideon's doubt and our doubt goes beyond just the circumstances of life around us. We're going to read on. Picking up with verse 14 through 16, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So God is trying to build his faith and courage saying, you can defeat the circumstances around you. I am sending you. Gideon's response was the exact same way his response was the first time. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I, I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You see, the only thing extraordinary or remarkable about Gideon was just how weak and just how non-warrior-like he really was. Have you ever felt a little like Gideon? I am the weakest of the weak. I'm the weakest person in the weakest family, in the weakest clan, in the weakest country. I don't know about you, but I've had a few moments in life that kind of felt like that, where I'm the weakest of the weak. You see, Gideon didn't just doubt God because of the circumstances. He also doubted God because... He felt like he wasn't good enough, that he didn't measure up. We also doubt God for the same reason. 
You see, Gideon and us, he doubted God because he was viewing God through the eyes of humanity. What God was challenging Gideon to do was to stop that and to start viewing humanity through the eyes of God. God was calling Gideon in spite of his circumstances, in spite of who he was, to live a life of great faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. Here's how it defines it. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. God was saying to Gideon, find your confidence in my strength, not yours. See what will be, not what is. And like Gideon, yeah, our doubts leave us as an unlikely choice, but guess what? God chooses unlikely doubters like Gideon, like Tyler Bloom, who we saw a few moments ago on the video, and like you and I. He calls unlikely doubters like us to live a life of great faith. And that's today's big idea. In the face of life, we need to live by faith. You see, faith is the weapon that God arms us with in the face of dire circumstances, in the face of life's crushing on our life. We're convinced that our doubts are the end of the story. They mean they signify the end of our faith. But God, God sees things differently. He sees our doubts as simply the beginning. You see, what God desires to do is to write into those chapters of doubt in our lives, in our life story. He wants to write into those chapters of doubt an unlikely story of faith. Our doubt isn't the end of our faith. It's the beginning of a stronger faith. And God, he began writing your unlikely life story of faith long before you ever existed. You see, before you doubted God, before you doubted yourself and felt like the weakest, before life threw those horrible circumstances at you, 2,000 years before any of it, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to die on a cross for you and me, for our mistakes, for our doubts, for our questions, for our shortcomings, for our sins. The book of Judges shares lots of stories of people like Gideon and Deborah and Ehud and many other men and women, but those, those people were just temporary solutions for the Israelites' sins and mistakes. But Jesus sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the permanent solution for our doubts, our sins, our shortcomings. And all we have to do is be willing to accept the free gift of his forgiveness, his salvation, his hope, and new life. That's all we do. And God simply exchanges our doubts, our questions, our, our sins for new life. And if you have never started a life of faith, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know today is going to be your chance. Today is your day to begin a life of faith. And all it's going to take is you simply 
being willing to let God into your life. It doesn't mean you've got to figure out all your doubts first. It doesn't mean you're going to straighten it all out ahead of time. You just can simply be willing in the midst of your doubts to let God into your life. But that's just the beginning of our story of faith. The question is then, after we let him in, how do we go on to live a life of great faith? How do we live a life of faith? So I want to share with you a few thoughts today of how we can live out a life of faith. First, to live by faith, you have to be flawed. Now I know, being flawed is the easy part. And if any of you don't have any flaws, believe me, I got plenty of them to go around. You can have some of mine. All right? You know, that joke bombed in all three services. Why did I even write that in there? The only laugh I get is now they're laughing at me. You know, so I, I should have left that one out of there. I'm going to erase that. right. I'm going to delete that right now. And anyway, uh, you know, but truthfully, we're all flawed. That's the easy part. You know what the hard part is? Is being honest and transparent about those flaws. You see, we want to hide. We don't want people to see our flaws. We're worried about what they will think about us. We're worried about, if we're honest with God, that we have doubts. How's he going to respond? Well, let's take a look at how God responded to Gideon's doubts. We're going to pick the story up in verse 17. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, notice the word if, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord struck Gideon down dead for his doubts. No, that's not what it says at all. It says, and the Lord said, I will wait for you until you return. You see, we think God's going to respond to our doubts with anger. That he's going to wash his hands of us and be done with us, you silly doubter, you imperfect human. But what we see is, even after all God had said, here's Gideon once again saying, I think it's you talking, God, but I'm still not sure. So I'm going to ask you for a sign now. As if sending an angel of the Lord wasn't a big enough sign, right? Uh, but how many times does it take you a few signs? Uh, how many stop signs before you stop? Anyway, that's another story uh, we won't get into. Uh, but there's the idea, and we're afraid of how God's going to respond, but God didn't respond to Gideon's doubts and questions with anger or being threatened by them. Instead, he was patient and understanding of Gideon's flawed humanity. In the following verses, we actually see that God gave him the sign he asked for. He allowed the angel to consume the offering with fire by simply touching it with a staff. You see, we're often afraid to admit our doubts and weaknesses because of how people will think of us or how God will respond. But God has never asked us to deny our doubts, and he doesn't get angry when we're honest about them. God understands there are moments in life that just don't make sense. And he already knows our doubts, so why pretend they're not there anyway? You see, when you're transparent, you'll find out, like Gideon, that God is patient with us, and he will strengthen our faith through our doubts. And as we work out those questions we have, you'll find that God will turn your greatest doubts into some of your strongest convictions. 
And in the process, God's going to create a life story of faith that can inspire other people, kind of like he did with Tyler. And so let's check out part two of Tyler's testimony. I was just coming out of a bad relationship when I met a girl who would eventually introduce me to Lifehouse. Not really being much of a church person, I mostly agreed just to go to hang out with her. Even though I attended, I was never really engaged. The only reason I stuck around was to be with her and to watch at the time our worship pastor, Corey Broadwater, play music. I didn't really care about the rest of the teachings. I was still stuck in the same old addictions and dark ways of life. I didn't really connect with this purpose that Patrick was speaking about. And at the end of the day, I was always left with more questions than answers. It wasn't until about nine months in that I had my first hand encounter with God. I was at this youth event now known as YouthCon, and I was told that this event was more like a concert than an actual church service, which was the only reason why I agreed to go. Now, while at YouthCon, for the first time, I started to feel like the way I was aimlessly going about life was all wrong. Slowly, all that shame, guilt, brokenness that I'd kept out for so long was starting to creep into my heart. With tears running down my face, I finally fell to my knees and started begging to a God who I never really cared about before. It was then that a youth pastor's group that I wasn't even with came over and started praying over me. They told me if I wanted all of the shame, brokenness, and guilt gone, I needed to submit and ask Jesus to enter my life. And only then I would understand my purpose and I could be free. And that was the first time that I asked Jesus Christ to enter my life. Throughout the next few years, that youth pastor became a mentor of mine. And he would lead me to a life focused on Jesus that I never cared about before. Since getting to know God, my faith has grown in Him. And so is a desire to learn more about Jesus. The doubt that I was once stricken with has since been replaced with peace and understanding. I've since found my own personal calling in both tech and youth ministries. And I'm able to use that to worship and bring glory to His name. I now have the desire to mentor students who share the same doubts and struggles I once had and lead them to a life of better understanding and purpose. For the first time in my life, I can say that I'm no longer lost and I now have a better understanding of my purpose. Hey, let's give a hand to Tyler for uh, being willing to share his testimony. I remember when Tyler first started coming to Lifehouse, I am so stinking proud uh, of the man that he is, the man of faith and the man of God he has become and his life story. And here's what happened. You know, when Tyler was honest about his doubts, God took him in those doubts. He strengthened his faith and he began to write a story of life faith in him that gave his life purpose. Gideon, when Gideon was honest about his doubts, God built Gideon's faith stronger and gave his life purpose. And here's the deal. You want to live by faith. You want to live by faith and find purpose in your life? Stop hiding your flaws and let God work through them. God will build your, your strength. God will build your faith stronger. I'll spit it out here. I'm so excited. I can't hardly talk. He will build your strength your faith stronger, and he will start writing that great story of faith in your life as well. You want to live a life of faith, to live by faith, be flawed. Next, to live by faith, we have to be filled. Now, on the second of those three days where I had flat tires three days in a row, on the second one, I also made another huge mistake. And uh, I was in Coldfoot, Alaska. The next gas station's 270 miles away. 
So I calculated how much gas I would need to get 270 miles based on gas mileage that I get from our minivan and such. And uh, um, I figured out and I, I added a couple extra gallons just to be safe, right? You know, so, but I was trying to get by. Gas was $5 a gallon at this place because they had you. Where else are you going to go, right? So um, I calculated how much I, I wanted to get by on as little gas as I possibly could at that price. And uh, so I started down about 100 miles from Fairbanks. I realized I, I didn't have enough gas to make it. I'd screwed up big time. And uh, so I start coasting down every hill. I hadn't calculated in how we were going to be going up and down mountains the entire way. Hadn't calculated in the fact that every hill, this is only a, a lane and a half, and there's, you have to get over to the side in case a truck's coming, and you're slowing down, speeding up, slowing down, speeding up. And so, um, yeah, I, I wasn't going to make it. And so I, I whispered to my wife, you know, uh, don't tell the kids, but we don't have enough gas and uh, just start praying. And we prayed and somehow God got us there. I mean, we had long since been past empty. The light had been on for so long. I thought it was Christmas, you know, with all the lights uh, that were flashing at me and stuff. And I mean, I'm doing Dale Earnhardt down every, every hill, you know, cutting the corners, you know, carrying as much speed down the hill as I could in neutral to save gas. But here, here's the thing, you know, here's what happens. We try to get by on as little faith as possible instead of filling every moment of our life with faith. We, try, we tend to only turn to God and have faith when we absolutely have to. Israel lived this way during Gideon's time. We're going to look back at Judges 6, 7 through 10. And this is what it describes about Israel. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the God's of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you haven't listened to me. He's saying, I did all these things, and all I asked in return was to put your faith in me. And the one thing I asked was the one thing you couldn't do. And isn't this how we live, like the Israelites? We try to handle everything on our own without God, and then at the last minute, when we know everything is blown up on us, we turn to God and then get mad at him because our efforts without him failed. That's what Israel had done. They'd tried, they'd done everything. God had done all these great things for them. They did everything on their own. They were trying to get by on the least amount of faith. They were trying to make it to the gas station on empty instead of doing this, the right thing and getting that tank full of faith. Here's what I mean by being filled with faith. If you want to live a life that's filled with faith, it means you're going to have to trust God first, even when you think you can handle it without him. It means you're going to have to trust God in the end, even when it looks like God isn't going to make it in time. You want to live a life filled with faith, it means you have to trust him in the small things, even when they seem too insignificant for God to care about. It means you're going to have to trust him in the big things even when the enemy stirs up every doubt inside your heart. You want to live a life filled with faith? It means you trust him in the good times 
recognizing that every blessing in your life comes from God. And it means you're going to have to trust him in the bad times. Yeah, even then, believing that in spite of what your eyes see and the circumstances around you, that it means that God is still there protecting you with his hand of protection. Our response to every situation in life needs to be to have faith in God. Don't shortchange your faith by only turning to God in desperation or weakness at the very end after you've already made a mess of things. Instead, let God fill your life with faith, no matter what you're facing. To live by faith, you got to be flawed. To live by faith, you got to be filled. To live by faith, you have to be faithful. Now, faithful in our culture doesn't just mean full of faith, but it actually has another meaning that means you follow through on what you're supposed to do. You're faithful. You follow through. There's a saying in sports that it's all about the follow through. And what that refers to is that uh, when you're, whether you're swinging a golf club or swinging a softball bat or a baseball bat or shooting a basketball, it doesn't matter. What it means is it, when we say it's all about the follow through, it, it's that the follow through reveals whether you did the right things leading up to the moment of impact or leading up to the moment when you release the basketball. It means that the follow through will give away what's really gone on beforehand. And so, it, because you can't just stop, like you can't hit a golf ball, you can't stop at the moment of impact. You have to naturally follow through. If you're able to stop at the moment of impact, you're going so slow that you, you're, you can't really hit the ball very well. And so our faith is very much the same way. What does your follow through say about your faith? So we're going to pick up Gideon's story now in verses 25 through 27 with one more scripture. And it says this, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God at the top of this height, using the wood of, his, of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Now, if you read the entire chapter, you will discover Gideon still was afraid to do this. He still had some fear because this wasn't just his father's altar. When it says your, your father's altar, it's not like it was just down his dad's farm. That's meant his clan, his entire clan. This is where they all came to worship. The people were going to be mad at him for doing this. He knew this. And you know what? They were. They were going to kill him for it. So he wasn't completely devoid of fear here. But it had reached that point where he knew it was God talking. And at that point, it was time to follow through. Your follow through will reveal how much faith you're truly living with. And so this morning, I also want you to think about this. What does your follow through say about your faith? Has God laid a challenge out before you that you've been putting off? Maybe because it costs you too much? time, energy, or maybe because your life is so busy, it just hasn't made it to the top of the to-do list. We need to be faithful and follow through. 
Lastly today, to live by faith, we have to be fearless. Yes, he was still afraid. Gideon was still afraid. And yet, as he had exposed his doubts to God, as God through this process has built his faith, he was willing to set aside his fears and to face the situation and the circumstance head on. It's time for us to stop measuring the risks of what God is calling us to do in life by our inabilities, by our flaws. And it's time to start measuring the risks by what God is capable of doing. As we put more faith in God, as we work through those doubts, we gain courage and confidence because we're no longer having confidence in what we see around us, but we are now having confidence in God and what he can do in the situation around us. Fearless faith, fearless faith stands firm in God's strength when others run, cower, and retreat. Fearless faith is unintimidated in the face of evil. Fearless faith doesn't ask, what if I fail? But what asks, what would I do if I knew I couldn't fail? Fearless faith stops asking the question, what if God doesn't show up? And starts saying, I can't wait to see what's going to happen when God shows up. And so God is calling us today to put our faith in him in spite of what our eyes see around us. And to live a life of fearless faith. You know, Gideon, Gideon was called by God to respond with a life of faith. And today, we're going to take a moment here and we're going to pray in just a moment. And here's how I want you to pray. First of all, if you have never started a life of faith, maybe you're like Tyler. Maybe this is your first time or maybe you've been coming for months and you still have so many doubts that you've been unsure you even want to put your faith in God. Today's your day. When we pause to pray, listen, you don't have to give up your doubts. God will take you as you are. And here's how you're going to do it. When we pause to pray in your own words, in your own way, all you have to do is say, God, I'm ready. I have doubts. I don't know. I'm not sure about all this, but I'm ready to start a life of faith with you. And look, say it in your own way. God's not impressed with fancy language. For the rest of us that have already begun our life of faith, listen, Gideon was ordered to tear down the altars to the false gods and to build an altar to the true God. And my question today is, what altar is God asking you to tear down in your life? What area of your life have you been trying to handle on your own without faith in God, without God's help? What area in your life? Tear it down today. Or maybe God's calling you to build an altar to him. Maybe you have heard God speak, but you haven't been faithful yet. You haven't had the follow through. Your moment is to simply say, God, I'm ready to be faithful. I'm ready to follow through and build that altar in my life to you. So can we all take a moment right now, bow our heads, close our eyes, and let God speak to us about the altars of our own life today. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.